Hello, Internet. Mike and Andy here, um, uh, live from the Vox World headquarters in uh, suburban Columbus, Ohio, and the Vox World Junior Varsity headquarters in Andy's garage in San Juan Capistrano, California. <laughs> so we are glad that you're here. Andy, say hello. Hello. Andy's got his uh, hockey T-shirt on today, and um, it you know it's kind of back to normal. It's hockey season again. Yep. That's they have right. a hockey team in Columbus. You I, know that, right? Uh, yeah. That's I, I've heard a rumor. You know the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Until until they start showing up in the uh, top ten, then we'll. When maybe acknowledge them? Sure, sure, that's all right. Sure, that's all right. I, I'd, I'd rather lose during the regular season than choke in the playoffs. You know what I'm saying, Ducks? All right. Anyway, um, uh, speaking of choking, my beloved Cleveland Indians. Just um, not that you know I'm a huge baseball guy, but you know I like watching postseason baseball. But my sweet Indians, just whatever. My Browns are 0 and five, and. Um, so it's kind of business as normal here in uh, the great state of Ohio. <laughs> um, Andy, today, which, describe your weather. Today here, it is, uh, it is cloudy, uh, like socked in cloudy, maybe 65. What do you got? Uh, I think we are in the, the low 80s today. So we okay. are, we're feeling great. We're feeling nice. Oh, the, yeah. the sun unless is out. You're, unless you're in a wildfire area. Yes. I mean, holy on the, crap. Yeah, on the coast, I am I am fortunately clear from the fires happening in Anaheim Hills right now. So but um Man, are yeah. they still going? Um I know Anaheim is, is far more contained, but I know that um up up in Calistoga, the northern, Cal northern it's, it's crazy. it got worse. It's a, it's up to hundred and seventy thousand acres. Oh my goodness. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, all the journalists are saying we've never seen anything like this. So th this might go on record to be possibly the uh, like the worst fire in California history at this rate. Oh. Oh. It's pretty bad. Well, it's really bad. well, Andy, if I were there, let's say it'd be uh, it would be out by now. <laughs> right? I think I brought a, I think I brought a Midwest sort of precipitation presence. <laughs> um now that I've left, this is what happens. Yeah. All right, so we got a great uh, embarrassed by the Bible sort of uh, question for us today to consider, Ooh, Andy. All right. Um, yeah, so so Jesus has this kind of pithy line that you know anyone who divorces and remarries another commits adultery. Uh, so that's yeah. the embarrassed by the Bible part. Okay. So we get a question in, and these are always always super heartbreaking questions. Is divorce a sin? Mm. My husband and I are separated, and I'm not sure we will reconcile. While I'm willing to exhaust all avenues and do anything and everything in my power to fix things and put my family back together, I also don't want to be in a loveless marriage where there is no trust and there is constant fighting. Time apart is making it easier, extremely slowly but surely, to get used to being apart. I've always been told God is against divorce. Do I keep fighting or do I let it go? Mm. So, so first of all, you know, whenever we talk about uh, an issue like this, like, here's the story behind it. This isn't an abstract theological question. This isn't something that, um, you know, exists uh, in some sort of ether apart from real life. Um, so we can have a doctrine of divorce all we want, but you have questions like this that come in that are deeply pastoral. Um, I'm so heartbroken for you and your husband, and if you have kids, even more so. Um, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I have been living in a loveless marriage for now uh, 17 years. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I don't know if my wife will listen to this or not. Whoa. Um, no, and I don't mean to, 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 to make light. Um, I, I, I can't imagine what you're going through and I'm so very sorry. 
Um, so what I can do is I can't answer your question specifically, whether your divorce or not would be a sin. Um, I, I want to present kind of a biblical theology of divorce um, that maybe will provide some some help and some guidance. Um, a lot of this comes from a guy named David Inkstone Brewer. How great is that name? Anytime Inkstone can be in a, in a hyphenated last name, you know you're onto something. You know you're smart. Um, he is a scholar. Oh, man, I don't remember where he's a scholar at. Tyndale House, I think, in England. And, uh, and he's written a couple books on divorce that completely uh, unraveled my, uh, my sort of superficial views on this. So uh, I'm going to do some really in-depth stuff today, Andy. So, so buckle right. up. Gird yourself, my friend, and for you, questioner, uh, we'll get to relevance towards the end of this. But I, but I think it's really important to put Jesus' sayings in context, uh, because is divorce a sin? Well, it depends. And um, so we want to talk about what it depends on, all right? Uh, so I'm just going to start rambling. Andy, Andy, you just interrupt to clarify or to add Andy punctuation points or whatever um, as yeah. we go. Um the the like what you know if there's if we've learned anything on the podcast um you don't need cultural background to appreciate the big message of the bible but there's something that you miss if you don't have it there's there's nuance there's shading sometimes there's complete misunderstanding um if we ignore the cultural background of some of this stuff so i want to i want to as far as we can with the help of mr inkstone brewer um i want to to kind of go back into as far as we can discern uh what the divorce conversations were like um in jesus's day because jesus gets pulled into one of these when he offers his most extended teaching on divorce so we need to uh, we need to kind of start with how a first century Jewish man or woman would have heard these terms and these words, and uh, and then what Jesus says kind of in um, in contrast to them. So, uh, in the Old Testament, there the rabbis found six hundred and thirteen commandments, and they found uh, five different groundings for divorce, five legitimate grounds for, for divorce. So in these instances, divorce would not be a sin. All right. So this doesn't mean the rabbis were right. It just meant this was the, the kind of the teaching in Jewish's or in Jesus's day. The first ground uh, of divorce was infertility because the first commandment God gave to the man and to the woman was to be fruitful and increase in number to fill the earth and subdue it. Um, and so, so be fruitful was a command, and so the Jews uh, obeyed it, and family lines were huge in Judaism, particularly back in those days. And so um, they regarded, at least initially, infertility as a ground for divorce. Um, th- there are some rabbinical get-arounds on, on this, but um, it was never, nevertheless a command. And so if, if your spouse was unable to conceive, uh, that was grounds for divorce because you could not, you could not obey the, the first commandment of the Bible. So uh, thankfully, Jesus jettisons this, as we'll see, as a, as a ground for divorce. Uh, the second ground is uh, the one that, that we kind of all... Uh, are aware of, and it comes from Deuteronomy 24, uh, verse 1 and following. It's it's for immorality. So 
If a man, this is from the text, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, dot, 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 because there, there's more law that kind of, it's case law that comes after this with a couple of specific examples. But, but um, in Deuteronomy in 24, so, so in the law of Moses, there was this thing that said, if a woman becomes displeasing to a man because he finds something indecent about her, now, this, this in Jesus' day, is going to be a massive, massive point of controversy. But initially, the Jews regarded this simply as, uh, it, it was in Hebrew, it's kind of a, a cause of indecency. So not just um, uh, something indecent about her, but the more literal translation is a cause of indecency. Um, and the Jews just interpreted that as adultery. So breaking one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. If you did, it was a grounds for divorce. So, so the first two, infertility and morality, straight, relatively straightforward. But then there was a, a text where three other grounds uh, were derived. And that's in Exodus 21, where, again, it's case law about a slave, mm-hmm. And uh, if the slave, the, the slave already has one wife, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, her clothing, and her marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. In other words, she is released from the marriage if the slave marries another woman, but deprives her of food, clothing, and marital rights. Marital rights code yeah. for sexual relations. All right. So, um, uh, so, so the rabbis took this command and they said, oh, okay, well, if that's true for slaves then that should be true for free women as well. And if it's true for free women as well, it should be true for men uh, and husbands as well. And so so the, even though the context was, hey, you know, God permitted polygamy in the Old Testament. And in this instance, I mean, this was actually a revolutionary text in the ancient Near East that you would treat slaves with dignity. But if a slave took a second wife, you could not ignore the first one. Okay, so this was this was a huge step forward, even though it seems like massive steps backward uh, to us. In this instance, the rabbis, you know, be- began to make a series of deductions. Well, the, a free wife must be able to have these rights, and if a wife has these rights, then a husband has these rights. Um, and if they don't have these rights fulfilled, then they should be able to get divorced. So, what the ever helpful rabbis did was begin to clarify what does it mean for food, clothing, and marital rights to be given from the man to the woman and from the woman to the man. And so we're going to get into, <laughs> yeah, because it sounds really, really vague, right? I mean, so, so the ever helpful rabbis um, began to unpack or provide at least oral tradition that we have codified like a couple hundred years after Jesus's day. Um, about the specifics about this, but this just gives you a feel for kind of the divorce. What were the grounds for divorce um, in Jesus's day? So uh, they 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 um, debated exactly how to define the neglect of food and clothing and love. 
Um, and so they defined how much food and clothing preparation the wife had to do. All right. So, um, if she fell short of this, the husband could divorce her for neglect. All right. So from, from the Mishnah, these are the kinds of labor, which a woman performs for her husband. Um, she grinds flour, she bakes the bread, she does the laundry, she prepares the meals, she feeds her child, makes the bed and works in wool. Uh, wool. And so if she doesn't do those things, you are entitled for a divorce, which, you know, to be exactly honest, my wife like hardly a, does any of those things. A paleo diet she doesn't grind flour. She, <laughs> nope, she doesn't bake bread. Um, uh, she doesn't work in wool. So I don't know, man. I don't know about this. But then... This is where she comes back. They also defined how much money for food and clothing the husband had to spend on his wife. Okay, so he may not provide for her less than two, and it's Q-A-B-S. I don't know how to pronounce that, but less than two cabs, or cabs, I guess, of wheat or four cabs of barley per week. Okay, and he is to give her a bed, a cover, and a mat, and he gives her a cap for her head and a girdle for her loins. Yes, every girl needs a girdle. And shoes from one festival season to the next. And clothing worth more than 50 zuz, literally at Z-U-Z, from one year to the next. Now, Inkstone Brewer says that would have been approximately, for a normal day laborer, one-seventh of his income was to go to his wife's clothes. So my wife would have basis now to divorce me, all right? If, because that certainly is not certainly not the case. So so if the husband didn't support his wife in these ways, uh, with with a minimum amount of barley and a bed and a mat and a cover and a girdle and a cap and shoes and clothing worth more than fifty zuz. Uh, from one year to the next, uh, a wife could uh, legitimately get a divorce. Okay. Now, is that one seventh on the gross or the net? And, and how much is the expenses <laughs> on what he's buying that she has to provide, or is it that she has to pay for what she's providing? Yeah, Dave Ramsey would have had a field day um, with uh, the the way this was working. Oh my goodness! Now, not in- so so you've got food, you've got clothing, and now you have marital rights. So they they even they even <laughs> even had uh, regulations about this. All right. Um, so the sexual duty of which the Torah speaks in Ezekiel twenty one, uh, those without work every day. Okay. So if you're without work, you have a marital duty every day. All right. So that I think that would keep you unemployed for a while. Yeah. Um, workers, just regular workers, you have to have sex twice a week. Uh, donkey drivers once a week, camel drivers once every 30 days, uh, and then sailors once every six months. Okay. Cause you're, you're evidently sailing. Um, uh, the, the Pharisees said he who takes a vow not to have sexual relationships with his wife, the house of Shammai say for two weeks, the house of Hillel say for one week, disciples go forth for Torah study without consent for 30 days. Workers go for one week. In other words, they capped, they capped the amount of time that you could not have sex. Okay, yeah. so, so the two groups of Pharisees, the Hillels and the Shemayans or whatever you call them, uh, they, they, uh, they, they, their, their caps were different. One said you can't go without a week. One said you could go two weeks, but no more than that. 
Um, so I hope my <laughs> wife listens to this podcast. Now, um, that was that was kind of the basic terrain <clears throat> of uh, the divorce conversation until there were two schools of Pharisees that we just we just mentioned. And Jesus was involved with the debates between these two, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Okay, these were both schools of Pharisees. Um, both agreed uh, for divorce uh, in any of those five grounds, right? So infertility, immorality, or neglect of either food or clothing or marital rights. But the Hillelite Pharisees invented a new ground for divorce um, soon uh, before Jesus's day. It was a, so it's a sixth ground. And this was the cause for Jesus's being brought into a debate about whether or not this was legit. Okay, so this gets really mm-hmm. kind of complicated. But this became, according to Inkstone Brewer, this became the most po- popular and important ground for divorce. In the first century, it became so popular that it replaced all other grounds for divorce. Um, wow. and, uh, and, and they derived it from this phrase in Deuteronomy 24 that we covered, a cause of indecency. All right, so here's, mm-hmm. here's how they got this. The Hillites said, look carefully at the ground for divorce in Deuteronomy 24. A cause of indecency means divorce for adultery. We all agree on that. But the word indecency by itself is enough to tell us that it means adultery, which leaves the word cause. What does that mean? It must be another ground for divorce, they reasoned. For what? What's the ground? For what reason should we divorce? For a cause. For what kind of cause? For any cause, was what they decided. Huh. Uh, because it simply says a cause. So a cause of indecency, they, they said, was saying two different things. Okay? Yeah. A cause yeah. and then indecency. Now, I don't get how they get that. I'm just saying yeah. that was the argument they made. So they invented a new type of divorce called any cause divorce. Using this, and this is the very famous example, uh, a man could divorce his wife for anything, even a burnt meal. And um, Inkstone argues, Brewer, Inkstone Brewer argues that actually the wives liked it too because it didn't require a court case. Uh, and unless the wife had been unfaithful, she'd get her dowry back. There was no need to prove neglect or any other embarrassing deals in public. Uh, this was enough. Uh, you know, this uh, this was enough to kind of seal the deal quietly, um, without all the embarrassing details in the community. So when Joseph <laughs> wanted to divorce Mary quietly, uh, it was that means he wanted to do it without a public hearing. So, so what, what they did is they wrapped up, according to this scholar, they wrapped up all the other grounds for divorce into just any cause. Good divorce. Great. So these are the hellites. <laughs> um, and so the people that didn't agree with this uh, were the Shamites, who said the phrase, a cause of indecency means nothing except adultery. Okay? It doesn't mean adultery and any cause. It just mm-hmm. means the cause of adultery. End of story. Yeah. So do you see the difference? Right. The yes. Hillelites say, no, 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 there's two, there's two things there. A cause of indecency means a cause and indecency. So any yes. cause plus sexual morality. Right. The Shemites, Shemites said, no, 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 it just means no cause except adultery. Yes. All right, so that's the debate. And you get this 
Um, you get this in the Mishnah. The school of Shammai says a man should not divorce his wife except for indecency found in her, since it says, for he found in her an indecency cause, Deuteronomy 24. And the school of Hillel said, even if she spoiled his dish, uh, since it says any cause, Deuteronomy 24. So even if she spoils his dish, boom, you could, uh, you could, uh, get a divorce that easily and readily. All right. Now. Wow. Right. I know that's a whole lot of painful background, but Jesus, (laughs) so Jesus in Matthew 19, where he speaks longest about the subject of divorce, uh, the the, the Pharisees come and they ask him, now this is straight from the text, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Okay. For any cause. All right. Now, now without that background, you're just thinking, okay, well, what does, what, what do you mean for any cause? Well, of course not. Yeah. But, but I think what they're asking is, is this any cause new divorce thing? Is this legit? Because remember, remember, um, uh, these were Jewish conversations. And yes. so, you know, we can't just pull them into the 21st century, pack divorce law into them and, uh, and think, hey, we've arrived at a theology of divorce. Right, like they so, were trying to advocate for more of a progressive way of divorce. Like it, it wasn't a, right. it wasn't like a future suggestion. It was something pre-existing. That yeah, right. So they're yeah. asking Jesus, "Does the new any cause divorce agree with the law?" Everyone agreed that divorce was allowed. All right, because the law of Moses made an exception for it. Um, the big debate was about the any cause divorce. Again, the Shemite said nothing except indecency. Uh, the Hellite said, no, no, no. Um, uh, any cause divorce was legit. Make sense so far? So when they ask him, yep. is it lawful yep. for a person to get divorced for any cause or any and every cause, depending on your translation, that's what they're referring to. All right. It's not just a random divorce mm-hmm. sort of conversation. So Jesus answers siding with the Shemite slogan, nothing except indecency. All right. You have to remain married unless there's indecency. Okay. So he takes the Shemite side. Mm -hmm. um, And, uh, and so here, let me, let me play out the text back and forth and kind of show you what I mean. So some, I'm taking this from the NIV 2011. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? All right. So there's context there. Yeah. They ask what they ask Jesus what he thinks about this new Hillelite form of any cause divorce. Jesus replies with a bit of a digression, but we'll get to that in a second. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So first thing is Jesus is more interested in talking about marriage than divorce, right? Jesus is always holding out the ideal. Um, if you had a properly high view of marriage, most divorces would never happen. Um, but but Jesus critiques the Jewish sort of current theology of divorce in, in two ways. First, he disagrees with uh, polygamy and he gives scriptural proof of monogamy. But the second thing is that he elevates marriage, and, and, and this was elevated in the Old Testament too, but Jesus reminds them of it. It wasn't just a human contract, but it was a covenant that where God, whereby God was actually involved in the making of the covenant. Make sense? So mm-hmm. no yep. one yep. should break that contract or that covenant by breaking marriage vows. Now, the Pharisees replied to Jesus's Genesis you know, 1 and 2 reference by saying, why then... 
did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? Right? This is from Deuteronomy 24 again. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you. Now, the difference is, did Moses command us to give his wife a certificate of divorce? No, no, no. Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Now, that phrase is interesting. We'll get to that in a second. But it was not this way from the beginning. Again, hinting back to the Genesis 1 and 2 account. The Pharisees say, uh, divorce is okay because Moses commands it for adultery. Jesus said, no, 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 Moses allowed it for adultery and not just normal adultery, only when there is hardness of heart. That means repeated unrepentant breaking of the vows. So Jesus responds to their initial question after that by saying, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, or you could put in there, except, you know, except for a cause of indecency. So this is the Shemite slogan. Yes. Anyone that divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus finally gets back to the big question, is, is any cause divorce okay? And his answer is absolutely not. And he quotes the Shemite sort of slogan. This implies, interestingly enough, that any cause divorces are human inventions and are invalid. So anyone who has an any cause divorce isn't really divorced but still married. So if they're remarried after any cause divorce, they're committing adultery. And as far as we know, if Inkstone Brewer is right, um, that all the divorces in Jesus' day were, or most of the divorces in Jesus' day were any cause divorces. So Jesus just announced that most of remarried Jewish people were now living in adultery. And that is why, <laughs> that is why the disciples go, holy cow, if that's true, then it's better not to marry. So to summarize, what does Jesus say about biblical grounds for divorce? First, he, re he rejected divorce for infertility because he, get, he talks later about being a eunuch for the kingdom. A eunuch is somebody who couldn't mm -hmm. reproduce. So, so he, he opens up that possibility for single folks, for infertile couples, all of those sorts of things uh, to be uh, productive um, and beautiful members of his kingdom, right? You don't have to just be mm -hmm. uh, fertile in order to obey the be fruitful and multiply. Um, right. So he rejected that. Um, what about the neglect parts, the food, clothing, and love? You know, if now Jesus, interesting, doesn't say anything about this, right? Jesus says nothing, and Jesus doesn't talk about remarriage after valid biblical biblical divorces either. So, in the Jewish culture of the day, it was legitimate for neglect or desertion to be valid grounds for divorce, and Jesus doesn't say anything to countermand that, as far as we can tell, um, and doesn't say anything about being remarried after valid biblical divorces. So the, the best that we can do is to say that Jesus allows for divorce um, on the basis of sexual morality and, and allows for divorce on the basis of desertion and, um, and neglect. Um, mm -hmm. now, now, we can't say that positively because Jesus doesn't talk about it. An argument from silence isn't a very strong argument. But when brought into... The Jewish debate, if, see, now, now what, what a lot of folks do and what I always did was I just viewed, hey, can you divorce for any reason? Any reason, any American reason. And, yeah. and Jesus is like, no, except for adultery. So that ruled out any other reason for divorce. 
Right. But if Jesus right. is talking specifically about any cause divorce, well, that was a specific Jewish thing in his Jewish day. And it opens up the possibility that the other biblical grounds the rabbis identified were still potentially valid. valid. Yeah. So, so it's, again, whether or not you agree with mm. this... Because uh, I can hear some people say, you know, oh my goodness, well this this I mean, who who then can define neglect and desertion, right? You can manipulate that to say, oh yeah, he neglected me because he went out all the time with his guy friends, and that's the reason I'm divorcing, or or she neglected me because you know she didn't have sex with me enough or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, or make enough bread, right? Or make <laughs> enough bread. Your your wool working was awful this month. Um, but on but the on the other hand. Um, I, I do think that that there are valid reasons for divorce that go beyond just adultery, mm-hmm. where staying in the marriage is more harmful than uh, exiting the marriage. So I, I think that's allowed. Now let me just let me make sure. Uh, and and it's fascinating. These three biblical grounds, um, the the food, clothing, and um, marital rights, became the basis of Jewish marital vows to each other. So we have an example uh, in the year uh, 126 on a papyrus that says, here's the, a ketubah was a bridal contract. So here were the vows made by the man to the woman. I will feed you. I will clothe you. I will bring you into my house by means of your ketubah. And I owe you 400 denarii together with, together with the due amount of your food and your clothes and your bed. Okay. So that <laughs> Right. It doesn't sound very like romantic. Sounds like a prenup. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so this was just an up. And, yeah. and so, so, you know, later we jazz that up to like, I undertake to esteem you, honor you, nourish you, provide for you food and clothing. Even in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about uh, the bridegroom who promises to, to love, nourish, and cherish his bride, the church. Um, but there's this interesting twist Okay, and and this this gets really interesting, Andy. Are you are you still focused? Yes, I am. Okay, so the saddest place in the whole Bible where these three vows are listed is when God in Exodus sixteen, God divorces or lays down the groundwork for divorcing Israel. Hmm. Okay, so God says he lists the ways God lists the ways in which Israel broke all of her vows when she married God. See, God. God, um, the whole bride and bridegroom image doesn't start in the New Testament. That was an Old Testament image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some think the, the, the Ten Commandments are actually the ketubah of God marrying mm. um, uh, his people, Israel. Yeah. So, so in uh, Exodus 16, verse 16 and following, he says, uh, he says Israel has gone and committed adultery with the other idols, the other gods on, on the high places in Israel. She took the cloth that God had given her and used it to clothe the idols. She took the fine food God had given her and served it as offering to the idols. She repeatedly broke all three vows to feed, clothe, and love with stubborn unrepentance. Right, which is amazing, and and the word, the Hebrew word here, this the stubborn unrepentance word, gets translated into Greek as the hard heartedness that Jesus speaks of, uh, the, the yeah. reason that Moses permitted mm-hmm. um, a certificate of divorce in the first place, which is fantastic. Yeah. But in Jeremiah, uh, the the only and the only other t- text that uses this word is in Jeremiah, where God divorces Israel for all the adulteries of faithless Israel. Jeremiah 3.8 says, I sent her away with a divorce certificate. 
Yeah. Holy moly. So God is a, div a divorcee. <laughs> um, because Israel repeatedly broke her marital vows. Mm. Um, she committed adultery with other gods. And obviously that's a metaphor. Um, he, they, they took what God had given and used them in the worship of other gods. And so he, um, he actually divorces her and, um, and, you know, he woos her back. There's all sorts of romantic imagery in the old Testament that, that really, that really surrounds this idea of marriage, covenant, ketubah, polygamy, monogamy. Mm. See, that's, see, God permitted po uh, polygamy. But but he always railed against Israel whenever she she wanted more than one god. Right? What's the first command? You should have no other gods before me. Yeah. Um. I mean, so so it's this fa so yeah. this whole thing is wrapped up in really really deep sort of theology and narrative and and, and so. Well, what's real fast? What's really fascinating to me then is I, now is like I'm I'm putting a different lens on the Ten Commandments because we look at the Ten Commandments as very contractual. Yes. As like here in, in an Old Testament context, but we we've always looked at it as like well, in the Old Testament, it was like if you did these things, oh, when you're you're out, you know, yeah. like you're you're a sinner and you're and you're out of God's grace. But it's when it's presented in this covenant kind of presentation, it still has this other concessionness to being like, but that doesn't change God's pursuit of His desire to be in covenant love with you. That's right. You know, it's like it that right. still stays consistent through the entire narrative, even then when we go farther to see Jesus, because it's the challenge is always like, oh, well, Jesus comes and replaces Old Testament or fulfills Old Testament, so old, you know, the old, um, the old Ten Commandments, you know, don't necessarily apply because of how grace works. But it's interesting because if you look at it this way. There's this incredible consistency that I I just I'm seeing differently, you know, yep. in that sense of like, yep. man, like all these old laws, it's we we've we've always looked at them as very rigid and very contractual, but to see it more as a way for God to say, these are covenantal ideals in which when you do these things, you are acting in the fulfillment and alignment with my with my heart and my will and what I desire for our relationship. I mean, that just that just to me looks a lot different when I think about it that way, if that's accurate. Right. So here's Inkstone's, uh, Inkstone Brewer's conclusions. I just want to call him Inkstone. Um, and and again, I, I just am not smart enough to know, um, although I've, I've read a couple of books that tried to refute what he, what he said here, and I, I don't see them as nearly um, as, uh, as clear and the arguments as powerful as these. Mm. Um, but so Inkstone Brewer's take was this Paul, Jesus and Paul both affirmed the OT law of marriage and divorce based on the four vows, faithfulness, support with food, clothing, and love. And faithfulness means fidelity. Marriage should be lifelong and repented broken vows should be forgiven. Hmm. In other words, we are going to break our marriage vows. I break my marital vows all the time, right? What if I'm unkind, if I'm um, unwilling when, when, uh, you know, I'm stingy at times. And so Jesse, you know, I mean, I could, could very easily <laughs> say, man, you are not providing one seventh of your income. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> do my one thirty second of your income. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, uh, divorce is permitted, not encouraged. It is permitted if, if they stubbornly and unrepentantly carry on breaking the vows. Mm. So, so if, if somebody were saying, listen, uh, what are the biblical grounds for divorce? The best I could give 
and, and and I stand before God in terms of you know he can he will judge whether or not this is accurate. But the best I can give is adultery, desertion, abuse, neglect, mm-hmm. and um, and so to this young lady that uh, asks, uh, is divorce a sin? Uh, it depends. In, in America, it certainly is is commonly practiced. So, and this goes back to you know we did a podcast called the Myth of the Soulmate, where a lot of divorces um, go under the guise of irreconcilable differences. Which, quite honestly, I think you know that's just code for uh, my partner and I don't meet each other's consumer preferences. You know, I think a <laughs> lot of that happens, and I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting this is what's happening. Uh, in this particular question, but but it does, you know, if you've gotten to the place where, um, okay, I'm now focusing on the grounds for potential grounds for a divorce that I kind of want, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can manipulate these to make them say anything you want. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, at that point, your heart uh, is is what's the true revealer of of whether or not this is a legitimate divorce because we can't answer if it's really been adultery that's an obvious one but has it been neglect desertion abuse i mean I, i've had people divorce over pornography you know uh, uh she found out uh, his husband looked at pornography he was repentant she said nope you broke the vows and she was out mm-hmm. so so I, you know, how do you measure a heart attitude? Mm. You know, you, you, can, you can have already secretly decided, yes, I hope the answer is divorce isn't a sin. But let's say, I mean, I can imagine circumstances where people can cry neglect and cry desertion, but in actuality, that's just a cover for the fact that they don't want to be married to this person anymore. Sure. They don't have a view of it as a covenant. They're not in it to, to, uh, to bless their kids. They're in it for themselves and their own self-fulfillment. And, uh, and so you have to be so careful with this because there is this part that, that we could use something like this to easily justify. Uh, but there is also freedom for people who were told that, well, unless they commit adultery, I'm stuck with them forever. No, that's not true either. So there's good news in this. You know, if you are, if you are the target of abuse, mm-hmm. if, if neglect um, in its most extreme forms or desertion, yes, I think the scriptures give you permission to, to divorce and to remarry under God's covenant blessing. Uh, but in terms of how specific, it's so, that's why the rabbis were so eager to give specifics about, well, how much neglect and how much food and how much clothing and how much sex, because it's it's much harder to measure a human heart, yeah. right? That, with mixed motives and and uh, sometimes selfish desires. So my sister is divorced of sin, sometimes. <laughs> uh, my husband and I are separated. I'm not sure we'll reconcile. Um it, it, again, I, I would have to know, not that I'm the judge or arbiter, I would want to know, okay, so what are the details? I'm willing to exhaust all avenues, do everything and anything in my power to fix things and put my family back together. If that's true, if that's true, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've and I've seen marriages where this is where one spouse has simply been unwilling to design to to sign the divorce papers uh, because they want to give God every opportunity to change the person's mm-hmm. heart. Absolutely. Um, I also don't want to be in a loveless marriage where there's no trust and there's constant fighting. Again, okay. Um, I don't know what that means. And, and could that fall under biblical ground? Sure. Could it not? Sure. I don't know. Um, time apart is making it easier to get used to being apart. Well, of course. 
It sounds like it sounds like you guys are miserable together. I've always been told God is against divorce. God hates divorce. He himself says it. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. Do I keep fighting or do I let it go? Man, I can't answer that. Um, if you know, my 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 thoughts are always divorce should if it's an option, it should be the last, utterly last option. If you haven't gone to marital counseling, if you haven't gone to individual therapy, um, if you have kids, I mean, I, I would just encourage you to keep going and keep fighting for it. And I know that's easy for me to say. I haven't had to be, go through what you've been through. Um, but I think I think that um, you would want, if you do get a divorce, you would want to be able to say to your children, your family, your future spouse, your whoever, that you did everything possible to make this work. Uh, before before you just let go. And again, I don't know if, if he's up for reconciling or if it's just you. I mean, there's so many varied circumstances. So so unfortunately, I can't, I, you know, we can't really just say yes or no. Um, on the one hand, um, you know, God intended marriage for the flourishing of, of persons, uh, but that also, that flourishing comes from realizing you have irreconcilable differences or learning to love each other in spite of them. Um, and and the scriptures exalt marriage as not a consumptive good, but as a covenantal good, uh, which has far more far-reaching ramifications than just my personal happiness yeah. and fulfillment. So it's tough. It's tough. I can't, I can't say for sure. Um, I just know I'm so sorry you're in this. And if you hear this and want to email me, um, I've got a list of resources we can get to you, people you can talk with, um, can, uh, community pastors who you know can you can talk to specifics to. Um, we just we just want to be more helpful than just a podcast. But we thought, you know, this is one of those very embarrassed by the Bible sorts of moments when Jesus in Luke and Mark, I think Luke and Mark shorten this Matthew 19 conversation very dramatically to where Jesus just says, yeah, any marriage, uh, unless there's been uh, adultery, um, is adultery. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Any remarriage right. on the basis of something other than adultery is adultery. Yeah. That's a massive nuance in Matthew. That's huge. Well, it seems that way. Now, again, yeah. Angstone Brewer might be wrong. It may be you've read him wrong or whatever, but I found it super compelling. And he's got some books out there if you want to read it for yourself. Hmm. But again, if we're to the point where it's like the how far is too far conversation, right? Where I'm not focusing on the beauty of the relationship, I'm focusing on the line. Um, right. You know, it's one of those is divorce a sin because I'm, well, I'm at that place. Man, if we could reframe the question a little bit, I, I think that goes a long way to trying to answer it. So is divorce a sin is one way to frame the question. Uh, what's God's intention for my marriage is another way to, to phrase the question. Um, uh, what would it take for my marriage to flourish would be another way to phrase the question because it's not now. You know, uh, just uh, just uh, off the cuff sorts of of thoughts. Anything you want to close with, Andy Bear? Yeah, I got two thoughts. Uh, okay, one, which is just interesting to think about you know when some of these questions come up often i feel like and maybe this is something of our subculture that we've just arrived at there's always this question of if i do x y and z or i'm doing x y and z am i sinning right, right. because there's this this measure of because if i'm sinning then that tells me i need to change you know like that's the measure 
of defining whether or not you need to be repentant of something or reorient towards something or so like measure some form of change. Like I, I just feel like when we look at what it means to be a moral person, uh, to understand our relationship with God, it's constantly measured against am I understanding where I'm at in my life? And if, if I'm sinning, oh, okay, well now I'm on the wrong side of the line. When I, I just feel like that's, I don't, to me, that doesn't seem like the big picture. It does not seem like the narrative that is being painted through this entire story, like, you know, Old Testament covenant into New Testament, you know, New Testament. Like there's these, yeah. there should be this other question that because Jesus always goes back to these heart questions. It doesn't become about am I sinning or not? Because that was always the, the that was always the pharisaical question, because if they right. were sinning, then it determined their holiness or their righteousness or their position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When right. rather Jesus is always pointing at. But what does your heart look like? It was always it was like more right. of like this health question. Like, how is, right. is your heart healthy? Are you living healthy? Are you seeing God correctly? That actually draws you into deeper relationship. That's a better reflection of what he intended for his kingdom and his people. And it's yeah. like, man, there's such to me, there's just such bigger, deeper questions that can be asked. Because sometimes just asking the question, if I do this, am I sinning? Okay, that's just a yes or no question. Yes, you are. Okay, well, right. now what? You know, it, it, and then it, right. it still takes you to all these other massive other things. Yeah, and, and right? you may not care. Right. You may not care that you're sinning. I mean, it's like, how far is too far? Well, you keep asking that question until you get the answer you want to hear. Right, right. And, and right? so, and I, I ask that because it just seems like there's all these detailed, you know, uh, markers and trying to understand this conversation of divorce, right? If I get right. to this point, can I then divorce, right? And it's right, like, right. but I don't feel like that's how we look at it with God. You know, how it right. is, I think some questions are like, how far can I go without being outside right. of God's grace? And we spend right. so much time talking about that versus the entire, the conversation in the other way that says, what right. are all the things that you could be doing that show that you're actually fulfilling the deepest and widest possible love and relationship you could have with God? You know, it, I mean, it's just yeah. that to me, when I, I look at all the conversations out there, I feel like I'm, I'm a little at a miss of hearing really great content that's just right. going right. like into those areas of, and I don't. I'm just, that's yep. just all kind of hitting me as I'm hearing us talk about this topic and I'm like, yeah, we get all, we get a lot of questions about like, you know, okay, if I'm doing this, then am I, then am I sinning or not? Like everyone's confused about whether or not they're sinning versus, right. you know, Hey, right. if I'm doing these things, are these actual, are these things that really deepen my love and deepen my covenant with God? You know, I, we're Correct. never getting those questions, right? Correct. So, right. oh, that's just so interesting to me. <laughs> I'm just glad there was no provision in there for fat. <laughs> as a grounds for divorce because my wife i mean my goodness she has all the grounds in the world she has more Man, grounds and she knows what to do with well i guess i guess gluttony if it was in a selfish manner that you were withholding from your wife like if, if, i eat right i will admit that sometimes if if we're both hungry and there's only one piece of cake left <laughs> I'll, I'll try to maneuver for the for the cake i'm, I'm gonna yeah. Yeah, and the clothing, man. I mean, I've got to I've got to buy, you know, extra tall clothing. <laughs> so maybe that's robbing her of her one seventh. Man, you know, man. Well, portion of the income. Right. I mean, then you just go, you just jump over to Paul, and he's just like, you know, husbands love your wives. Okay. Well, now we got this massive subjective word. You know, for yep. how does that get unpacked? Is it then all of the things defined in, as, in not divorce? As, yeah. 
Christ loved the church, right? Which means before she was lovely, before she was before she could provide bread, before she could sew, before she could do all right. of these things. Here's what the covenant of love looked like. I mean, it, oh, dude, it's like that. On. Just that. That's just all of that. Just seems to blow up this whole conversation in a way. It's just fascinating. I just, yeah. Anyhow, blow it up, dog. So blow those it up. are those are my thoughts. <laughs> well, great thoughts, Andy Bear. And to the questioner, I know we've we've broadened it beyond your situation to talk about a lot of things, but we grieve with you. We are so sorry you're in this. If if you want to re- give us your thoughts and response, we'd love to hear them. Um, at uh, hello at, at voxpodcast right dot yep. com. Mm-hmm. And um, as always, we have a community in uh, California that you're more than welcome to drop by and say hello in. It meets at 10 o'clock at uh, El Dorado High School. Um, And uh, that is Vox OC. Uh, We're still trying to figure out what we're doing in OH. If there's a Vox here or uh, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We're we're just kind of wandering around in the Ohio wilderness. Um, (laughs) But uh, so VoxPodcast.com is the, the home of the Vox podcast. Um, we're still going to be dripping out the the remaining chapters of Sex, Love, and God as we kind of go forward here, but I uh, wanted to get back to some some chewy goodness yeah. on the theology side. So giddy up. Giddy up. All right, my brothers and sisters, anything else you want to add, Andy? Nah, that's it. Okay. That's it. Good times. All right, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and in these days, holy cow, in these days, may he give us peace. My word. All right, until next time, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast, and now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.